This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of MLB Pipeline Podcast. I'm Jason Ratliff here with Jim Callis and Jonathan Mayo from Phoenix, Arizona. He's out enjoying his first taste this year of the Fall League. Um, We've all been enjoying the postseason as we record this. We are a game away from uh, the World Series. We know we will see the Rangers hosting either the Phillies or the D-backs who are playing in a Game 7 of the NLCS uh, this evening. And uh, we got the Adolis Garcia show last night continued. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about him and uh, how he got to the point where he is now and kind of flew under the radar for, for quite a while and had a kind of interesting uh, circuitous route to his postseason stardom. Uh, we also have a rookie starting in that game seven of the NLCS tonight, Brandon Fott. So uh, that should be interesting. We'll talk about that a bit as well. We we had a chance, and when I say we, I mean Sam Dykstra, had a chance to talk to Rockies prospect Benny Montgomery, who's out in the Arizona Fall League. We'll uh, hear from Benny here in a bit, and uh, plenty more Arizona Fall League to discuss. Jim uh, pegged some of the winners of the midseason awards, the six-week season. Jim's given out awards for the first three. I expect Jonathan to like hand out awards to those players uh, in the next couple of days. I, I'm shipping you some awards to hand to those players, Jonathan. You got it. Handcrafted, handcrafted some crafts. Your your uh, your family's in the the awards business, right? That's true. Well, well, it, it's part of yes, the music awards for um, uh, high school. There you go. Band program. Yeah, that's true. I probably could get something even even nicer whipped. Get up. some awards out there. There we go. I think you should get ones that like left over. So I can just hand one of these guys like a Sousa like Award and a Louis Armstrong best, Award. To, yeah, our best best woodwind ensemble award. Give, give him a quarter note trophy. I, I will digress a little bit more here. We need to bring back the champion chains. Uh, <laughs> I liked it when the players of the week got like a, a championship belt to wear. Um, we need to bring that back. Jonathan, you're out there. Get on that. I'll, uh, I'll make I'll, craft some belts while you're out there. Oh, yes, <laughs> I'm a leathersmith. Not sure if that's the right term what do you guys say we we wrap up not now but when we do uh with a question from the mailbag sure okay this time only though all right uh all right postseason um in what seems to be a trend there is a cuban-born player who was received from the cardinals who is dominating um we, we saw this happen with Randy Rosarina. Now we're seeing it happen with Adoles Garcia. Two, two players who, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the Cardinals basically gave them away within like a month. I, I shouldn't say gave, gave them away. They, they didn't give away Rosarina uh, so much as they did Garcia. Um, but this is a guy that we really haven't, talked about a whole lot over the years because he was never technically a prospect by the guidelines that we use to define prospects. And that is because he, when he signed, he had played in, uh, he'd played in Cuba. He'd also played in Japan. Um, but at the time the rule, the international rules were a little bit were different had he signed later, I think he would have qualified. And, you know, there were conversations over the years. People would ask, like, why is he not on the Cardinals list? And, you know, when we talked about it internally, Jonathan, I know, you know, you said at the time, like, yeah, this guy is, I want to say, top 
10 to, you know, he'd be, he'd be in the Cardinals top 10 to 15 range. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't qualify. So, so just to clarify, cause I don't even understand. So the rule now is that they're 25 or younger, they qualify, but at the time it was 23 and younger. Is that what it was? Vague roughly? I think it was a combination of the age and also the amount of time spent in a major international league. But, yeah, Sho- but Shohei Otani was fine, and didn't Shohei Otani sign around the same time? I'm, 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 I'm I never understood because I, I remember it came up when he had the big breakout in 2021 at the beginning of the year, and he wasn't on the Rangers list, which I do. We we're trying to figure out, oh, is he eligible? Retroact, like, like, is he eligible? And we we're trying to figure out, and we decided he he had not been. Yep. But like, right. And we had to, it's funny because we never remember anything. Um, but like, I remember, so I guess it was 2017, right? With the Cardinals, he had a good year in the minors. And that's when I think we first started getting like, why isn't this guy on the list? And we kept turning it over. And, you know. But like Shohei signed in 2017 also, like later in the year, but he was younger. Like, he I don't was know. younger. Yeah, I don't I think anyway. it was the age. Yeah, so what, yeah. It, what it depended on is whether they, you know, whether their sound signings counted against their the team's international was basically what it boiled down to. And, and right, that's a much simpler way of us fumbling yeah. around trying to remember why. It was, <laughs> I, I just remember screaming again sure. in twenty twenty one, like, oh, should we put him on the Rangers list while he still qualifies when he got off to the hot start? Right. Yes, very confusing. Yeah, p- people are going to listen to this. It's like we, we definitely knew that he didn't belong on a list, but we can't explain why. <laughs> <laughs> and back, so thank you, back Jason. Then, back then, he was he was basically known as the you know, younger brother of the Braves third baseman. Um, you guys remember that uh, the the Rays went to went to play. In Cuba, do you remember this was like the first time that a major league team had gone to play in Cuba in a very long time uh, since 1999, looks like. Um, and he he was on that team, and it was funny. I went back and and looked at that team, and really not any other players from that team that went on to do much uh, at all, really. Um, but that was back in 2016. And at that time, Jesse Sanchez had identified Garcia as kind of the player to watch. And it's funny to read, uh, you know, what they were talking about back then. And it, it still sounds very much like the Adolis Garcia of today. Very exciting, you know, swing and miss, going to play hard, going to hit the ball hard, going to run the bases hard. Um, and, you know, even back then, it, it sounds like that scouting report kind of translates to what we see now but man when this guy gets on a heater uh which has obviously been the case over the past week or so uh look out no exactly i mean i was gonna say again like my first exposure you know even the year he broke out with the rangers they designated him for assignment <laughs> earlier in the year uh and then he then he broke out and i was like wait a minute should i have had this guy on the list and then it's like oh i guess he doesn't qualify <laughs> but like the scouting report, like you said, Jason, has always been the same. Like it, it's huge power. It's a big arm. Um, it, it's a good runner who's aggressive on the bases and in every aspect of the game. And he just, you know, he, you know, struck out, you know, the, the year the the Cardinals got rid of him, he struck out, I think, 159 times, 132 games in double, AAA. And he was 26. He had repeated the level and gotten a little bit worse. Um, and nobody just knew what to make of it. And you guys probably know the answer to this because it's been in the news, but do you remember who the Cardinals designated him for assignment for to make, to make room for him? Yeah, a Korean pitcher, right? No, I, I think the Cardinals designated him for Mike Fulton-Evitz, wasn't it? Or was that the Rangers? That was the Rangers. That must have been that the Rangers, Rangers oh. I think, yeah. Okay. Well, see, I don't even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, the funny, I think the funniest thing about it is, I mean, in the Rangers, I'll admit this too, is, you know, like the, the short version, if you don't look in the story is, oh man, you know, Rangers, what a great move. They picked him up, but the Rangers didn't even know what they have. And I forget who it was that got hurt. I mean, the only reason he really got an opportunity in 2021 was that the Rangers had injuries in the outfield and needed somebody to step in and he got the opportunity. I can't remember if it was Willie Calhoun who got hurt or Joey Gallo was hurt at the beginning of the season or. David Dahl, but I mean, they basically had outfield issues and it's like, okay, well, 
he's on the AAA roster. Let's call him up and see. And and it worked out pretty well. It's crazy. You think about not only did you know the Cardinals designate him, the Rangers got him for cash considerations, and then like he didn't. There was no baseball, right? So he twenty twenty he got seven plate appearances in the big leagues, and the rest of the time was, I guess, hanging out at the alt site. Um, uh, if he was even there. I mean, do we even know that he was there? Well, I feel, I'm just guessing because he did get three big league games. So okay. unless they plucked him out of nowhere out of necessity, I don't know. And then 2021, he hits 31 homers. You know, uh, again, with a ridiculous swing and miss. I mean, the one thing, you know, each year he has, like, his plate discipline has gotten a little bit better. Um, I mean, he's still striking out a ton, but he's drawing more walks. And so he, you know, continuing to to get to to that power, and then what he's doing in this postseason is just uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. I think I, I read that he was talking about. Uh, I was reading about his relationship with Randy Rosarina, and they're you know they call each other brothers. I think well, one of them is the the godfather of of an, the other's child, right? Um, and uh, Garcia was talking about the fact that in the off season he hits, you know, he's he's in a group that hits with he hits with uh, a Rosarina and Jordan Alvarez. Like that seems like a pretty good <laughs> a pretty good group to work out with in in the off season. I mean, what what it, these guys, those three, you know, a Rosarina, Garcia, and Alvarez have been, you know, arguably had some of the best postseason singles single postseasons in recent memory and they they all have kind of you know all three cuban born uh like i said we're work out together very close and there, there's just something that that seems like they just when they get to that big stage and the fact that they all were acquired in in sort of interesting ways like we're not huge prospects any of them uh, coming up flew under the radar a bit were acquired for nothing or next to nothing and then shine on this, on this big stage. Well, I mean, we talked about Rosarena at length three years ago when he was going off. And I mean, I think we all, <laughs> when they made that trade, we're like, what are the Rays doing? How can you trade Matthew Libertor for Randy Rosarena who'd kind of gone through the same uh, path almost exactly the Garcia did where he had tools, but he was aggressive and he swung and missed and he never really got a chance to show what he could do. And, and they got rid of him. But, but, you know, Jonathan, I remember you did, but I remember a big story on it. I mean, the Rays saw something there and, uh, yeah, I mean, what he hit 10 home runs in the one postseason, which was pretty crazy. And then, you know, Alvarez was a little different. Alvarez was never really a failed prospect, but I think because he was seen as potentially a DH only guy, that I don't think we've got really aggressive with ranking him on the top 100 until he went off in AAA as a prelude to getting called up in 2019. Like we, we had him lower on the list, but, but he was different than the other two guys. Cause he always hit in the minors and he always, he, he actually showed plate discipline too. It's just, he was not the athlete. The other two guys were. Yeah. I, I think it's, uh, I like how the, the paths are similar, but I agree Jim. like they they are different. You know, I mean, Rosarina had no track record, really, you know, in, until uh, until that postseason. At least with um, Garcia, you know, he's, he's got a few years of doing what he does. So th- there was some prelude uh, to to him having a big postseason. I mean, you know, no one would have predicted this big, right? But uh, I, I think that... Um, that's what you know, separates it out. He's had a few years on a, of a big league resume as opposed to a Rosarina who kind of, you know, it was a weird year anyway in 2020. Um, but, uh, you know, he kind of showed up for the first time on the postseason stage. Jim, you're, you're right about Jordan and the fact that he never got really aggressive in terms of his ranking. He did end up on the top 100 list, but it wasn't until um, mid-season of 2018 when he debuted at number 42 and then in 2019 uh the preseason list he was number 44 and 
like you said, probably capped by. I think we market corrected him into the top fifteen right before he graduated. Oh, really? Because he, yeah, I he think, was... yeah. I, I want to. He had a eleven or twelve hundred ops in AAA, and he was on a team with, uh, with um, uh, why can't I? Th- I'm, I'm thinking it's not. It's uh, with Tucker, with Kyle Tucker. They were on the same team, tearing it up. And I think Alvarez had even bigger numbers. And I, I want to say, I think we market corrected him into the top fifteen, uh, like a midseason, uh, a pre. Pre mid season adjustment, like before we do the major overhaul, you guys know what I'm talking about. That makes I'm sense. Not explaining well to the listeners. We we update the top 100, the top of the top 100, a couple times during the season. And I want to say Jordan Alvarez, we we moved up there because he was just destroying the ball. And I think back, you know, we were we were writing. Now it's tap story prospect team of the week. I think Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker were making the prospect team of the week like every week until they both got promoted for good. All right, um, so. That's uh, that's the American League side of things. I mean, we didn't even we didn't even mention uh, here, uh, and we've we've talked about both of these guys at length. But uh, Young and and Carter, who have both posted postseason OPS of nine hundred or higher, um, we we put out a, a graphic yesterday showing that you know, they're among the top you know five or six rookies all time in terms of a single season postseason OPS. And they were up there with uh, some very impressive names, Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones, Ichiro, um, quite a few, <laughs> you know, future Hall of Fame types uh, that did the same as as rookies. Um, then over on the National League side, um, mentioned earlier that game seven, uh, as we record, is tonight between the D-backs and the Phillies, and we get to see a rookie pitcher on the mound of Brandon Fott, uh, who, you know, he's a guy who I would I would say burst onto the scene uh, with his, what, what was it, Jim? I know we we talked about this several times, 200 and how many strikeouts was it? Two, 230? No, I think it was a little, 218, because I think 220 okay. was Brandon Clawson, which had been the most in like, it was the most in in 20-something years um last year but yeah you, you just don't see with the innings limits guys get 200 strikeouts in the minors too often anymore yeah and we didn't we haven't really seen you know the the Brandon Fott who rocketed up to number 59 on the top 100 prospects list entering this year in the big leagues uh pitched to a 5.72 ERA in 19 games this year uh, and you know Gave up 22 home runs, which has kind of been, I think, uh, the red flag with him is is the propensity to give up long ball. But, you know, his last time out, struck out nine over five and two-thirds, looked very good. And, uh, you know, obviously the D-backs hoping for that in a, a big game situation. This is, I believe this is the 13th time that a rookie will take the mound in a postseason Game seven. Uh, looking back over the history of those, some mixed results. Uh, but Ian Anderson, the most recent uh, to do that back in 2020, NLCS game seven went three innings, gave up two earned runs. Uh, a lot of these more recent ones are shorter outings. Dustin May pitched just an inning in that same game um, against him. Uh, Walker Bueller. More successful back in 2018, went four and two thirds, one earned run, seven Ks, no walks. Uh, Dice K, a little bit different situation there, but five innings, two earned runs. John Lackey, five innings, one earned run. Uh, Jarrett Wright, six and a third, one earned run. So, you know, looking back, there have been pitchers in this position who have uh, stepped up and, and you know, met. Uh, <laughs> the the glare of the game seven at the, the moment. moment yeah i'm at the moment think of how think of how how jared wright would be remembered if jose mesa hadn't blown that game and they'd won the world series that's a good point yeah he was because jared wright pitched really really well yeah. um and you know but you know they didn't win the game and and so everybody forgets that start now I, I think it's going to be really interesting because he's, you know, he obviously you pointed out his his previous start in in this series was really good, and then he threw well against the Dodgers. Also, I mean, not with the same swing and miss, but four and a third scoreless. You know, second time facing the Phillies, I, I, it'll be it'll be very interesting. 
to see like what kind of adjustments they make, what kind of game plan adjustments the Diamondbacks make, uh, and if he can you know give if he can give them another five strong innings, I think it gives you know I think it gives them a, a chance to to win. That Phillies offense, like it, it's been hard to keep down, and you know to for a young pitcher to face them twice within one series, I'm curious to see how that all sort of shakes out. Well, if he pitches like that again, we're we're going to be prepared for more. Oh, taking the starter out, like uh, like it'd just be nice to be able to watch a postseason game without that point being belabored every time. Belaboring the point is the national pastime. All right, apparently, give, give me some uh, give me some predictions here. Let's get let's get a couple. Um, first of all, who do you have tonight? Phillies, D-backs. I'm I'm calling up my. Uh, Newsletter from last week. Oh, you made you made predictions last. I had picked the Rangers in six, and the Phillies in seven. Wow. Okay. You got to stick. So, with that. you can't. I think that. I'll stick with that. Although, like, I feel the Diamondbacks have a lot of momentum right now, but I just feel that the Phillies, you know, I think they're going to scratch, not scratch together. I think they're going to the offense is going to break out. So, I'll, yeah, I'll stick with the Phillies. I'm torn. I'm torn. I, I, I'm going to go with the Phillies. I, I just think it's a better offense. Jim wants to pick it, two. It, as, uh, <laughs> as, well as, as well as Fott pitched his last time out, Ranger Suarez pitched very well in that same game. I, I just think they've got more guys in their offense who are clicking. Um, so, I mean, if you could guarantee me that we won't see Craig Kimbrell tonight, I'd feel better about picking the Phillies, but I will, I will pick the Phillies. All right, as well, and then and then looking ahead, uh, Jason. How about you, Jason? Yeah, Jason, you got? you got to make a who's your pick? Come on. All right, fine. Uh, I, I, <laughs> trying to hide behind the host chair. I'm taking the Phillies as well. Right. And when we get to the World Series, we don't know who it's going to be yet. Does it does it matter to you guys? It, like, yes, it does. It does. Okay, I, 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 I know what you're trying to yeah, say. I would pick. You're not taking the, the Phillies Rangers to regardless. beat the Rangers, but I would take the Rangers to beat the Diamondbacks. I think I would agree with that. Okay. Yeah, that I mean, that seems like what sort of the general consensus would be, I would think. Although Craig Kimbrell continues to scare me. Like, I just it, – it's a shame because, I mean, the guy's, you know, track record of one of the best closers, most dominant closers ever. But, man, if, if I'm running the Phillies, I, I couldn't pitch him in a close game it's, at all. It, like, it, it sounds like maybe – it sounds like they, they – are leaning that way themselves based on yeah. post post game comments after that. So, I mean, part uh, of me is kind of rooting for the Diamondbacks just because I'm here in Arizona, and so it'd be fun to have the World Series like while I'm here. Yeah. But you could go. Uh, yeah, I'll just not cover. Like I said, I'll predict ahead of time that there will be nothing to write on that Folly game. I'm supposed to go to. Well, <laughs> there you go. You could just cover it. You could you could you could use the mini feed. And watch That's the right. fall league game. Run over, get Chase an interview, Field. come back. I, I will say, Jonathan, if it goes five games, if the Diamondbacks are in it and it goes to the fifth game, you have a day game scheduled. Look at you taking uh, care of me. On, on Wednesday, so you could easily make it to game five. All right, I'll circle you, that you on You can just calendar. go watch your game, drive to Chase Field, and write your game story from Chase Field. This will clinch the Phillies winning right here, this conversation. All right. Uh, speaking of conversations, Sam Dykstra had one with Betty Montgomery uh, out in the Fall League. We're going to take a break and come back and listen in on that. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Benny, the thing I want to start with is last night's game. You had two hits last night, a single and a double, both against Ricky Tiedemann, one of the best pitching prospects in this league. How do you prep for a guy like that? Yeah, we get uh, the probable starting pitchers the night before the game start. Mm -hmm. So I knew Ricky was throwing. I was excited because I know he's a super good arm, super talented guy, and I I came here to face the best. So it it was good to finally get a uh, try against him. He had great stuff. I was just, I had a good day yesterday. I was able to get some uh, baseballs pretty good and uh, see the ball well. So it was a productive day yesterday, but he was good. The whole team on surprise, all the pitchers yesterday were dealing. It was a tough day as a hitter, but I was happy that I was able to fight and make some good adjustments and have a good day. Yeah, and one of the things, talk about fighting, one of the balls you hit was right down the line towards right for that double. What were you able to do in that at bat? Yeah, I remember that one. Uh, he'd struck me out of the last at bat on a very good back foot slider. So I knew he, what he had uh, by the third at bat. I, wasn't, I was pretty familiar with what was going on. And he tried to gas me up with an inside fastball. And I was pretty ready for it. It was a little late, but I was able to get the barrel to it and hit it down the line. And off the bat, I'm a, I consider myself to be a fast guy. So I was thinking, <laughs> too, the second it got past the first baseman, and I was able to get there on a hustle double. So it was a, it was a, it was a good one uh, and a good at bat there in a good situation to get an RBI. Yeah, for sure. And... Uh, at what point did the Rockies come to you and tell you, like, hey, we want to send you to the Fall League? Uh, I found out when I was in uh, the regular season, I think in mid-late August. Uh, our farm director uh, came up to me and said, I was like, hey, what are my plans for the Fall? And they said Fall League, and I was super excited to get invited to this. It's a great opportunity for me, and I've been trying to make the most of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what were the instructions they gave to you when you when you had that initial conversation? No instruction at the time. It was just kind of a heads up that I was going. No, no, not many instructions. I didn't miss much time this year. I was blessed to have a mostly healthy season without, I mean, here and there, a little tweak or something, but no major time miss. So I was excited to get more baseball and make up for a little bit of a week or two that I might have lost in the season that I'll make up more so here. Uh, but not too many instructions. Just, you know, go play more baseball, get used to it, learn some things from other people, and get to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so if they weren't giving you instructions when you were really looking forward to this opportunity, you talked about facing the best of the best, but what was your focus coming into this time? Yeah, I wanted to yeah, definitely develop some hitting things. Our hitting coach, Nick Wilson, hitting coordinator, uh, he was here a week or two ago, and we made some good adjustments to get me more on time, which mm-hmm. has definitely helped me hit here for sure because that's kind of what I struggled with in the season was syncing everything up and getting to the baseball and here I'm getting ready earlier I have a little bit more new of a mechanism to use to start getting to go in earlier so it's been a lot of kind of swing mechanic swing decision stuff that has really helped me Hmm. while being here. How would you describe that mechanical change? Yeah I I had a big issue throughout the whole season with starting a little bit too late it was kind of an unconscious thing I didn't know I was doing it Hmm. so now I have a little bit of a hand move that I forced to go with the pitcher when he picks his knee up, that starts me going a little bit earlier, a lot earlier. Mm-hmm. So I'm to the ball quicker. I actually find that I'm too early sometimes, which I've never had that issue with ever. So it's it's just a super good fix that we've made. Uh, it's a little bit of a bat tilt, but it just it gets me going quicker, gets my leg going, and I'm on time and even early, much more now. Yeah, and when you say it's something you didn't even realize you were doing, did you identify it in video? Did they take it to you and say, hey, this is what we think the issue is? They brought it to me. Uh, I always knew I had an issue with that. I just really struggled with making an adjustment for it. Uh, but this is the first time I've actually seen the fruits of something work. Uh, they brought it to me. They said, hey, we, we want you to uh, try a few things. That was the first thing they tried. I tried it in a game and I had success with it immediately. Mm-hmm. Talked to one of my hitting coaches uh, back home and uh, we made some adjustments to everything and now it works. Mm-hmm. When did you first implement that, the change? Uh, a few weeks ago. Okay. I would probably say the second week of the fall league. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think you have multiple hits in six of your last seven games so far. How results-oriented are you on this stuff, or are you more based on feel? Like you were saying, you're feeling early for balls now, which you've never done before. 
A little bit of both. I mean, I'd be lying if I said, I mean, results aren't good. But at the, at the end of the day, uh, in the fall league, you're here to make sure that you make good adjustments and you feel the way you want to feel. And I think I'm doing a good job of both. <laughs> like, I, I feel good and I feel like I when I feel like I feel good, normally the results are pretty good, too. Yeah, and there are so many different numbers you can look at now. You know, it's not just batting average and homers and RBIs. So when you identify whether something's working, what are you looking at? From a, statistic, from a statistical standpoint, I try not to pay too much attention to that. It's more so just kind of a feel. Am I elevating baseballs more, less ground balls, hitting balls in the gap a little bit more, which I've been doing a good job of just kind of elevating the baseball more. So it's kind of like a feel and a looks thing. Uh, I know off the bat if I'm doing the right thing or not, and that's kind of how it goes. Yeah, and you were talking before about being healthy this year, at least playing 100-plus games for the first time in your pro career. Last year you dealt with a quad injury, right? So that, did that change your offseason to prepare to last as long as you did? Yeah, my number one goal going into the season was literally just to stay healthy. I wanted to do everything I could to stay on the field because I knew if I stay on the field, everything else will most likely fall into place. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. I really, my pregame stretch I took in, I took very seriously, hydration, I learned how to cook, workouts, I, I did everything I possibly could to keep the soft tissue injuries to a risk, some things you can't control, like you get hit, something like that, but I wanted to make sure my body was in the best position that I could to play every day. Yeah, when you say you learned how to cook, what's the Benny Montgomery special now? I like to throw stuff on a stove. So I'll, uh, in Spokane, I would like to go and I'd get a steak from Fred Meyer. And I'd slice, I'd sear it, and I'd slice it, put it on the stove with some oil and truffle butter. Some, oh, some truffle oil and salted butter. Okay. And I would just cook it on there. It was really good. And I'd make some instant mashed potatoes with some broccoli in the oven, make some pasta sometimes. I, 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 I got pretty decent by the end. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like a full menu. Are you a YouTube guy for this stuff, or are you looking up New York Times recipes? Where are you getting all this from? My mom. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's the best. Mom's awesome, so she sent me some recipes, and if I needed to know how I wanted to put something in for, at first it was how do I use the oven, but eventually <laughs> it turned into um, how to cook stuff. So. Yeah, you never never stop learning from mom. Um, we talked about Spokane and your, your time there this year, high A for the first time. What did you learn about yourself from being there for a full year? Yeah, it was, it was a hard year. Uh, obviously, being in Spokane, it's a long ways away from the area that I'm used to. Uh, you know, learning how to fight, really learning how to make the most out of situations that you may or may not want to be in. You know, playing far away in an area like I was not used to Spokane at all. I didn't know that area, similar to Fresno. Just the opposite side of the country, getting to learn how the world works over there, getting used to being at the field that long every single day for 132 games. That uh, was tough, but I, I'm really happy for it because I learned how to you know, fight through things. I learned really when to push myself and when not to from a body standpoint, which was important because I found that when I got hurt a few last year, it was a lot of, I was going too hard, trying too much sometimes in a reckless way rather than a smart way. So I learned how to intelligently take care of my body there. Uh, learned how to play baseball in a different type of area. It's very cold there in the beginning of the year, sometimes even colder than the Northeast mm -hmm. is. Learning how to play in different environments. It was tough, but I'm happy that I went through it. It was cool getting to go to Canada, see new things, play across the uh, Pacific Northwest. But it was definitely a different vibe than what I was used to in the past. Right, yeah. And that, I actually wanted to ask about that, you being a Pennsylvania guy. Your high school was in Lewisbury, which is Lewisbury. A little, yeah, a little south of Harrisburg. Um, you know, what is baseball like around that area, especially playing in the Northeast? Because you see so many guys coming out of Texas, Florida, California. You know, Northeast is a little different animal. Yeah, uh, I, I think a lot of people downgrade Pennsylvania high school baseball. When I played, it was certainly very, very competitive. People cared a lot, and there were very good baseball players coming out of my area. Um, is it to the extent that, like you said, Georgia, Florida, Texas right. are? Probably not, but... I mean, the top-of-the-top top guys are just as good as their top-of-the-top top guys. Just might not go as deep. Our high school team was phenomenal. I, I think we probably had the best team in Pennsylvania for three years mm. that I was there. Uh, it was a, I had an incredible team, incredible support staff, a bunch of good guys, good dudes on the team. Uh, but people care a lot. It's a very Pennsylvania is a very passionate sports state, mm. as you can probably see watching the Phillies and the Penn State play football. But no, they care a lot about their sports up there. I was seeing plenty of good competition. My senior year, they, they threw to me. Nobody was really afraid. They all wanted, they all wanted a piece of me, and uh, that was, it was cool. 
Yeah, and, and what is it like trying to stand out on the national stage? I mean, at what point did you start getting invited to these showcase stuff from, you know, from Pennsylvania? Yeah, uh, it, I committed uh, to college my sophomore year of high school. So around then, it's kind of, once you, I think once you commit, you start to get a little bit more looks. Mm -hmm. So after I committed, I played an area code that next summer. And then the, played a lot of the travel circuit with my travel team, you know, down in Georgia and Florida. Mm -hmm. uh, so we did a lot of that stuff. And I mean, if you play well, and you do stuff like that. I mean, you get invited to things. I did a showcase my junior year over the holidays. That really kind of put me on the map. I put up good numbers. And after that, you get invited to East Coast Pro Area Code, some All-American Game stuff, and you do your best, and you try to show up and show out, and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, was there any of one of those showcases where you realized, oh, I'm there's a real possibility I'm going in the first round here? Yeah, it, it would have been that uh, the one over the holidays uh, that I said my junior year, the perfect game event in Fort Myers. Trained hard for that one, wanted to put up good numbers, and I did. Damn, after that, <laughs> kind of everything fell in place. Do you remember who else was competing in that? Were there any big names there that you know you got to know pretty well through the draft? I'm trying to remember. I, I know there were some. I think Edwin Arroyo was there. Um, Edwin Arroyo was there. Okay. Tommy White might have been. I don't remember if Tommy White was or not. Might have been. I don't remember. There were there was definitely a couple other guys that were there. That I mean, Edwin ended up being a second round pick, and he's an awesome baseball player. So there there were dudes there that were very very good, but I don't I don't remember. No, that's fair. I mean, Edwin Arroyo alone is a pretty yes. it's a pretty good name. Um, and then you know, what were your expectations going into draft day itself? How much did you know that the uh, the Rockies were interested? I knew it was going to be probably somewhere between eight and fourteen. Uh, my, well, from what my agents were telling me, that's what I thought the case was going to be. I mean, you never really know going into draft day. I, I didn't I didn't know I was going to go to the Rockies until about a minute and a half before they picked me. But I knew there was a significant possibility of me going there, and I was super excited about it. That was a, that was a very, very awesome yet terrifying part of my <laughs> life at the same time. Uh, that, was, that was a cool day. I'll remember July 11th for the rest of my life. And... Uh, Hopefully make much more good memories, but even better than that. But that was, oh, that was cool. Yeah, and the fact that you said you thought you were going anywhere from 8 to 14 and you went 8. Yeah. How much of a high-stress, high-relief situation was that, just knowing the wait was over? There wasn't going to be it was, a six-pick wait. Right. It was, I didn't really have time to be stressed. It was like, <laughs> like of course I was stressed, but I wasn't panicking because the first team that I thought had major interest in me took me so I wasn't sitting around waiting too long mm -hmm. so it was it was an awesome experience I, I was so happy God hearing your name called that was I mean if I had to relive one moment in my life again it would be that day for sure and I've been blessed to be here but no that was that was cool it was, I mean, it was stressful but I also knew I had enough confidence in myself that it was going to be a good night. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and how quickly do you tran transition from oh this is a super exciting night to all of a sudden baseball is my career now and like I gotta go. I don't know if you were coming here or what to, after you signed, but like yeah, how quickly that transition kind of hit you like a bus going at full speed. Actually, you, you kind of ride the wave of you just got drafted eighth overall. Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god! You're in Denver signing contracts yeah. on the jumbotron. The next day, you're listening to Latin music in the minor league locker room with a bunch of people that don't speak your language at 18 years old, and it's like whoa, <laughs> like, whoa. I remember being there, just like what did I get myself into? It's like before before the draft, you don't really know what you're. I mean, you, you're balancing finances with college and what do you want to do. You don't really know the specifics of how life goes on once you get to the big, once you get to pro ball, your rookie, your rookie ball year. I was right over there mm -hmm. and uh, just, it was different. I'm at the field two to 10 every day. It's 110 degrees out. There were some very emotional nights in the first week, like what the heck is going on? But you get used to it, you know, trying to learn a new language. It's a different type of baseball. I'm facing 95 every day. Most of the time, you don't know where it's going over there. So it was it was cool. It was definitely it's a up and then a very far down. But you got you got used to that. Yeah, and, and I know you talked about the being in the locker room and experiencing being around different cultures for the first time in that way. But do you remember one specific moment? Maybe it was like 95, yeah, up and in with a, with a guy throwing harder than you've seen. But do you remember one specific moment that felt like you're welcome to a pro ball moment? No, not really. I, I adapted pretty well to that uh, 
year, so there wasn't too much, no. I mean, I, I was the only high school guy drafted, so I, I was the youngest dude in the clubhouse that spoke English. Mm. So that, that was a little bit tough. I do remember my rookie ball coach that year calling me into his office and saying, Benny, you have to shower after practice with the team because I wasn't comfortable doing that yet. So that, that, that probably might have been the moment off the field that I was like, oh, you know, I got to start being a big boy now and doing things like that. Yeah. making me uncomfortable. But no, it wasn't too much. I didn't do anything too stupid on the baseball field that year. But... No, I, I don't really. I don't really have too many of those moments. No, I, I was I was prepared enough through the summer showcase circuit to face that stuff. Obviously, it was better, but it wasn't heads and tails crazy. Hmm. Above facing a draft guy at East Coast Pro and Area Code, as that would have been. So. Yeah, fair enough. And you were talking about learning about the Pacific Northwest at at Spokane, but how much have you learned about Denver and what Colorado Rockies baseball is like and what the fan base is like? Oh, tons. I mean, it's instilled in you over there what life is like over there. It's very important that Clubhouse to win. Uh, our organization prioritizes winning over everything, so it's winning in that organization is the most important thing, as it is anywhere else. We want to win. We want to have a winning culture there so that by the time all the minor leaguers eventually get their shot in the big leagues, we know how to do that. We know how to have a successful team. That's what they've really been pushing recently. The fans are awesome. Denver gets a ton of fans. I mean, I think they have one of the best, um, uh, what's the word I want? They fill up the, they fill up the seats. Definitely the, the best. I don't know. I'm blanking on that word. I don't know why. Home field advantages. Type yeah. Thing. Like, like it's attendance figures. Attendance. attendance yeah, figure. I don't is. know why I was blanking on that. They have <laughs> some of the best home field attendance in the league. Uh, so they got plenty of people there. They care a lot about their team there. Obviously, the Nuggets just won an NBA championship, so we want to do that for the baseball team there soon. Right. So the city of Denver, they're passionate about their sports teams, and I can't wait to hopefully bring some good times to them in the future. Yeah, and as a guy who wants to get to Denver, that would be playing at altitude, obviously. Playing at Coors is a, is a different animal. How much is that in the back of your mind, even at this early stage? It's not. Uh, I haven't thought about that too much yet. That's one of those things that I probably won't truly understand once I get to there. A triple-A, Albuquerque at a similar elevation, so I'll probably understand it a little bit there, too. But not not too much. I mean, obviously it's a difference, but I, I haven't experienced playing baseball in that yet, so I, I don't know. Yeah, we'll find out when you get there. We'll find out. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I want to ask real quick just about the Spokane outfield. At the beginning of the year, you guys were incredibly loaded. Fernandez, Beck, all three of you guys on the grass at the same time. What was that experience like? That team was nuts. Um... That was a special outfield. We knew it, too. We Maybe not even. We didn't know it to the extent of what it was going to be that year. But, but we had, yeah, those those two guys are a heck of baseball players, Jordan and Young Keel. Very, very, very special with what they do. And we had an awesome, awesome team that year. They weren't with us for too long, but <laughs> right. as it should have been. Yeah. But they uh, while they were there, it was a light show everywhere they were, everywhere they went. Two awesome baseball players, awesome people. It was fun to play with them. And is there anything about playing with those guys that's rubbed off on you? Right. I mean, it, I feel like when you play around successful people, it makes you more successful. Like you're trying harder. At the end of the day, you're all competing with each other in a way to, you know, get better. Uh, so seeing what they were doing, seeing how they were preparing, stuff like that, it was, it was important to me to kind of take some things from them. Uh, see how they played, see what they did, uh, and watch them all the time. So they're two special, very special dudes. Gotcha. All right, we'll end on this one. Um, we are here in Salt River. This is the Rockies facility. You spent some time here in rookie ball, obviously in spring training too. What's the Benny Montgomery guide to Scottsdale at this point? God, I could be here for an hour talking about that. <laughs> Scottsdale is a cool place for sure. As long as it doesn't take too much of your money, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a good spot. I like to go walk around the mall a little bit, window shop drive around, look at the cars on the road. I mean, you'll pass plenty of yeah. very expensive cars. Right. Almost play bingo with it. How many $200,000 cars you can drive by in one car ride. Uh, look around. The food stops are awesome. Even anywhere you go, whether it's a cheaper option or more expensive option, they don't survive here unless they're good. Mm. So, God, so many restaurants. This, this place is awesome. Minus the 100 degrees in almost November. It's a a special place. Is there one restaurant you like most? I like Steak 44. That's probably a very common answer. If you want to go spend too much money at a restaurant, 
which my parents were here, so they took me there about a week ago, and that's always an incredible deal. All right. Well, hopefully we can get you an endorsement deal there yeah. somehow so that feature ones are. All right. Well, thanks so much, Ben. Yeah. I appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank thanks you. for taking the time. All right. Thanks very much, Sam. And thanks very much to Benny Montgomery for joining us on the podcast. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more Arizona Fall League. That's coming up next on the MLB Pipeline podcast. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the MLB Pipeline Podcast. Jason Ratliff, Jim Callis, Jonathan Mayo. Uh, just heard from Rockies prospect Benny Montgomery, uh, who's out in the Arizona Fall League, and we want to talk more Arizona Fall League. Benny has, Benny's been hitting well, as Sam discussed, uh, stringing together multiple hit games. He's hit safely in 12 of 13, reached base in all 13 of his games. Uh, he's reached at least two times and. 10 of his 13 games. Uh, he's been one of the better hitters out there. Uh, but Jim, I know you, in your beat report for this week, um, you picked an MVP for the league through the first three weeks. You picked the top pitcher and a breakout prospect. The MVP you chose was uh, Cubs number nine prospect James Triantos. And uh, Jonathan, I think you agree with that selection. I mean, it's it's not like he's far and away the best, been the best hitter in the league to this point, I don't think. But I, I do think that it's clear that he has been the best hitter to this point. Yeah, no, I think yeah, that's I, fair. Yeah, I was going to say, like, we, 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 like, when I picked this, I know there's a lot of Arizona Fall League fans who are going to parse MVP versus Offensive Player of the Year. And, and Mesa is the only team that seems to be out of the playoff race, so. Um, we can debate how valuable he's been, but yeah, I think. Oh, come he, on. <laughs> well, you, well, they have different awards. You watch, like, we'll we'll probably hear from some fan, uh, be very upset that we we picked him as MVP when Mace is off to bed start. But no, I, I do think he has been the best hitter in the league. Um, I don't know if you've, I mean, Jonathan, you've been out there for one day's worth of games. I don't know if you ran into Mesa or not. No. Um, but like, I, I saw him, I saw him hit well. I did not see him field well. And they've, they, I think he's played some outfield out there too. But he just, he can really, really hit. I mean, we, we thought that coming out of the draft. I mean, Jonathan, he was in your neck of the draft and kind of one of those late bloomers who had reclassified not to enter the draft. He reclassified so he could go to UNC and start a year early. Like they want, they, they encouraged him to reclassify so he could come in and play for them the following year. And instead, he just kind of took off same high school as Bryce Eldridge and, and worked his way into an overslot bonus in the second round of the draft. Yeah, and he, you know, at the, we talked about him uh, last week a little bit, and you know, the one, the one thing is like we all believe he can hit, and then the question is, well, is he going to impact? And put the defensive questions aside, you know, is he going to impact the ball enough? And he's only he's got two homers, but he's got nine extra base hits. And listen, it's the fall league; it's all you know, given with, with that usual caveat. But he, I think he's doing he's doing all the things well offensively this year. So I, you know. There are a few guys who, you know, are been very, very good over the the first three weeks, but he's the one who I think, uh, you know, is the has the edge over you know some some of the the other guys who you might consider for a a midseason MVP trophy that I'm gonna handcraft handcraft later on. Yeah, uh, yeah. He Triantos leads the AFL in OPS one point two nine three. He's second in total bases. Uh, behind Jace Bowen. He's second in average behind uh, Liam Hicks. And uh, yeah, he is first in slugging, I think. Yeah, first in slugging, second in on base. Yep. Yeah, so he's he's Jim and Jonathan's first half AFL MVP. 
Um, and to reiterate, I'm doing the award. Jonathan's crafting the belt. So we'll be right. working on those. Yep. Top pitcher through the first half of the season. Uh, going into the Arizona Fall League season, we were very excited to see the top two ranked pitchers out there uh, and Ricky Tiedemann and Jackson Job. They did not disappoint. Both of them pitched quite well. Um, and Tiedemann leading the league in strikeouts. Uh, both of them are finished, by the way, um, the, and finished on something of a high note in that they faced each other, which was exciting. Um, but neither of them the best pitcher to this point. That, according to Jim's official midseason oh, AFL awards, <laughs> is Davis <laughs> Daniel of the Angels. Yeah, and he's not a I, I, Jonathan. I want to say, and I you can tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think he's on your Angels top thirty, which he is not. He's not. Davis Daniels twenty six years. He has old. been in the past. Okay, he's twenty six years old. He had, I think, some shoulder issues this year, missed some time. Did come up and pitch well three games at the end of the big leagues um, last season. This season, I'm sorry, and then he's pitched very well. I saw him pitch. I want to say four scoreless early on, and he's having a, a transition. He's kind of. Comparing him to a guy from like, he's kind of like the Joey Wentz of 2022 in the fall league, a guy who had been a, a touted prospect. He was part of the same Auburn staffs with number one overall pick Casey Mize. He was a known guy in high school. And then he bounced around and been hurt and he's in the fall league and he has big league experience and he's pitched really well. And he's not, he's not going to overwhelm you with stuff like Tiedemann or Job or blow you away at the plate. But, but what he can do is he throws four pitches and he mixes them well and he throws them for strikes. And, you know, to this point, I, I can never figure out how many innings you need to qualify for the ERA league. So I'm just going to say among starters, I think he's third in ERA. He's first in whip. He's first in opponent average. He's first in opponent ops. He's got 22 to four strikeout to walk ratio in 16 innings. And with Tiedemann leaving, I think Tiedemann's one strikeout ahead of him. He's probably going to wind up. He's probably the favorite to lead the league in strikeouts going forward. So I, I don't know if you've, if we have like official sponsors of uh, AFL gambling, but but that would be my prop bet recommendation. That <laughs> Davis Daniels is going to lead the fall league in strikeouts. Yeah, he's had three three very yeah, good. I don't think they have those sponsors. He's had three very good starts: uh, innings, no runs, one hit, five strikeouts, one walk, six innings, two hits, one run, two walks, and I believe a season high ten strikeouts. And uh, I mean, league season high, uh, and then six innings, three hits, two runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. So, you know, all three outings have been very good. And just seeing a guy go six innings is shocking, like, yeah, yeah, you don't see that out here very often. All right, uh, Jim picked a breakout prospect of the first half of the Arizona Fall League season, Jacob Marcy of the Padres. Um, and I believe, uh, is, is he, I, I was going to say that I thought he led the league in, uh, and I'm not sure this is the case anymore. Has he tapered off a bit, Jim? He's tapered off slightly. Like the first week he was leading the league in everything. I think he's still leading the league with six doubles and 11 steals in 14 games, but his, his batting average has tailed off Jason to 370. And his ops is a mere 1116. So <laughs> like, like it was his ops is around 1900. I think when I was out there the first week, but now he's, you know, six round pick out of central Michigan, you know, probably more of a, a good fourth outfielder than an everyday player. But one of those guys who I, I think has opened some eyes with his ability to do a little bit of everything he hits the power is probably his weakest tool, but I, I was there for two home run game and he's got nine extra base hits, solid runner, good instincts on the bases, Good instincts in the center field. He can play all three. And I just think he's he's more of the, like a guy who can be like a really useful fourth outfielder at the big league level. Um, you know, he was a guy that the Potters got asked about in, in trade talks at midseason. Um, and, you know, I think he's on the radar of other teams as well. But that's always one that we do a story on every year, right? Like I'm sure we will again this year. We do numerous prospect stories at the end of the season, but one of them is guys who kind of came out of nowhere and, and open eyes in the fall, in the fall league. And as usual, there's a, there's a bunch of them this year. Yeah. He, uh, he opened the fall league season with six straight games, multi-hit games, uh, two hits, two hits, three hits, two hits, three hits, four hits, uh, just four for 28 cents. But like you said, Jim, still 
uh, cruising along at a 1100 plus OPS. Uh, Jonathan, you have uh, another breakout prospect for us in the fall league. Yeah, I do. He broke out a little bit during the regular season. It's Jace Bowen of the Pirates. Uh, they took him back in 2019, one of those sort of overslot 11th round kind of guys out of high school. Um, and he's always had that sort of power speed combination. And, you know, he was a 2020 guy this year. The approach needs work. It continues to need work. He, you know, strikes out a lot, doesn't walk much. But this fall, he's got an ops over a thousand. He's got, you know, three homers. He's got a couple steals. Uh, and I just think, you know, he had uh, hit his way. He put up, you know, the, most of his numbers were in Greensboro, which is a good place to hit. And he only spent eight games in double A where he didn't do much of anything. So I think this is like a an interesting stepping stone for him next year for for the upper levels. And I think if he can tweak his approach just a little bit, um, I, you know, it's one of those like you don't want to take away the the aggressive nature because it, it works. Um you know, that I, I think he has a chance to be something kind of interesting. He's super athletic. Uh, you know, he'd been a wide receiver in high school, uh, and that shows, you know, he, he's he's playing some first base, you know, but he also can play the outfield, uh, and, and, you know, the speed works out there. So he's kind of intriguing, and I'm curious to see, like, if he, you know, what happens next year when he's in double-A full-time, if he can kind of, make more consistent contact in order for those tools to to continue to play. All right. So those are uh, the unofficial midseason AFL awards. Now some official awards, uh, the players of the week for this week in the Arizona Fall League. Uh, the pitcher of the week is Darius Vines of the Braves and the hitter of the week, JT Schwartz of the Mets. Um, Vines has actually started again since uh, since his outing last week that earned him the Pitcher of the Week award. Um, he is the number 10 prospect on the Braves list, Jonathan, and somebody that we've seen in the big leagues. Yeah, and he was sort of uh, on the postseason roster. Um, not exactly, but, uh, you know, it, it's been a weird year because he made it up to the big leagues. He also missed a lot of time with the shoulder inflammation. <clears throat> he didn't even pitch until June. I think he may have spent more time in the big leagues. And this is not a guy who's going to wow you with stuff. Uh, it's largely average. He's got a plus change up, but he really knows how to pitch. He can throw a lot of strikes, and you know that's what he you know that's what he did this this week in his first fall league start because you know, he was on the. Taxi squad for the division series. He didn't get out here until late. Uh, but, you know, he didn't walk anybody. The nine strikeouts, five and two thirds. Like, uh, he's not always going to miss a ton of bats, I think, in the big leagues. And he probably profiles best as like a number four or five kind of starter if he's going to stick as a starter. Um, but his ability to, to move the ball in and out and command it has always been his strength. And it's worked for him so far out here. On the other side of the ball, the hitter of the week, JT Schwartz. Uh, here's a guy who, you know, he's, he's 6'4", 215, 220, pretty big guy, but has a slugging percentage of just 395 as, as a pro professional. Um, slugged 432 this year, but he's suddenly shown some pop uh, last week in four games. Um after just one extra base hit in his first seven games, the last week in four games, he had uh, five doubles, two home runs. So uh, some sudden pop from him and helping lead his Glendale squad to, uh, I think, a 6-0 and mark last week. They've won, what did you say when we were talking earlier, Jim? Seven, I, think seven seven I think they won seven in a row. Yeah, seven in a row now, yeah, because they won yesterday. Yeah, you know, you know, they're on fire. He's on fire. It's a little bit of a tough profile. You know, he he's a first baseman. You know, I guess he's dabbled in the outfield, but he's pretty much a first baseman. And like you noted, Jason, he just hasn't hit for power. I mean, he hit 305 this year in about half a season 
mostly in double a, but he only hit four home runs. And, you know, going back to when he was at UCLA, I mean, Jonathan, another one of your draft guys, he hit 396 as a, I, th- I think is a, I can't remember if he was draft mm-hmm. sorry. Anyway, his draft year, he hit 396 um, at, at UCLA, but he only hit eight homers and that's kind of, you know, plagued him in pro ball. You know, there's bad on ball ability. It's pretty good knowledge of the strike zone, but he's going to have to hit for more power to make it as a big league first baseman. And, you know, great week for him in the fall league. You know, the fall league is a hitter's league. So, you know, I want to see it, you know, during the regular season in double A, triple A, but, you know, positive development. And he even talked, I think he talked, I think Sam Dykstra wrote our JT short story during the week. And JT just said, you know, he doesn't look to hit for power. He just tries to, you know, make contact and swing at strikes and let the power come naturally. And, you know, last week it, it was as you know, much power as he'll, he'll, he'll show you really. All right. Uh, that is going to do it for our Arizona fall league conversation. And we have a non Arizona fall league question in our mailbag. This one comes from Dom P uh, emailed directly to Jonathan, not uh, via Twitter this time as is typically the case. Dom P says, it seems multiple sources and analyzers have decreased their love for Marcelo Meyer. I'm wondering how you guys feel and if you are still as high on him as before. You have him at number 11, which is great, but I honestly thought he could crack the top five or so this year. Seems his value is dropping, question mark, if you can believe number 11 is a drop. Yeah, let me let me preface this and, you know, I'll defer to Jim a little bit just because the Red Sox are, are his team. But like, uh, I want to give Dom like a little extra shout out cause he emailed and, you know, I'm guessing he, he's not on, uh, on the social medias and good for you for that. Um, but, uh, he emailed and asked like, if I have a question, what do I do? So I was like, well, why don't you just send it to me and I'll share with the group. And if it's a good one, so right out of the gate, he's one for one. So Don, thank you very much. You know, <laughs> I'm not down on him. Uh, You know, I think the fact that he is quote unquote dropped to 11 is more the fact that we had, uh, you know, some, some ridiculously talented uh, draft guys at the top of the draft and some unbelievable performances of guys who have sort of moved ahead of him. Um, Yes. He didn't hit in double a, but he's also very young. So I'm not, you know, that's why maybe he didn't move down more, but Jim, you know, for me, I I don't, I don't really see it as him, like his star fading at all, as much as the other guys just really kind of passing him by, you know, uh, you know, when you have guys like Jackson holiday, who, you know, makes it to triple a and hits everywhere and Evan Carter doing what he, he did, Junior Caminero with the huge breakout, Ethan Salas. Those are the guys that kind of have moved ahead of him and then Skeens and Cruz from the draft. Like, I just, I just, uh, I just think it was more that than any, like looking at anything Marcel Meyer didn't do uh, during the year. Yeah. He, I mean, he had a shoulder injury that I think, if I remember correctly, started to bother him in May. He tried to play through it for a while before he, got put on the the IL in August and then eventually got shut down in September, you know, first half of the season, or I'm sorry, his first month of the season, he hit 290, had 890 ops in high A. And then he hit, got to double A and he hit 189 with a, a 609 ops and struggled. And, you know, the question is how much of that was health, how much of that was double A. I, I don't think anybody's down on him. I, I, I'm not even holding it against him. I, I want to see what a healthy Marcelo Meyer does in, in, um, in double A next year, I think the biggest question about him, and, and this goes back to when he was an amateur, is that he's not a very fast runner. He's he's a below average to fringy runner. And I know some scouts who saw him in double A this year were questioning, is he really going to be, you know, like he has good instincts. He has a good arm when it's healthy, you know, but is he going to stay at shortstop? Because they, they, they question the athleticism and range compared to a big league shortstop. There, there were some more questions about that than I had heard in the past. So I, th- I think that to me is a bigger question. I ha- like this guy's hit everywhere he's been when he's been healthy. Um, so yeah, I, I, like, I think you said it very well, Jonathan. I don't think it's so much that he moved down as opposed to, you know, we had two guys from the draft. And honestly, if we were 
updating the list today, I'd probably put White Langford, a third guy from the draft ahead of him. Yep. You have Ethan Salas, who's one of the best international prospects in a while. And then you had guys who you mentioned who who had big years like Junior Caminero and jumped up. I think it's more just other guys kind of established themselves than, than people are down on him. He's still Boston's best prospect. He's still a very good prospect. Even if he doesn't stay at shortstop, I think he profiles very well at third base or second base. Um, and I just like to see him fully healthy. You know, he was banged up a little bit in 2021. I'd like to see him fully healthy next year. And I, and I think he will hit in double A. I think it was more, I, I suspect it was more the injury doing him in than, oh, he got to a level and he couldn't handle double A pitching. All right. Thanks very much, Dom P. And thanks to Benny Montgomery for joining us. Thanks to Sammy Dykstra for uh, chatting with Benny. And thanks to everybody for listening. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the MLB Pipeline podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. If you're enjoying the show or have any suggestions, leave us a rating and a review. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you next week.